Okay, you ready for this? A financer, a foreman, and a framer walk onto a job construction site. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, doesn't it, Kyle? You, were not, you weren't laughing yet. Financer, a foreman, and a framer walk onto a job construction site. Who do you introduce yourself to first? Don't say it out loud. Okay? Who has the most power? Who has the most opportunity for influence? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Who has the ability to change, to impact others? Okay, which person, the financer, who writes the checks and maybe has the vision for the project? The foreman, who oversees the projects, leads and guides each part of the build? Or the framer, who simply swings a hammer? Which person do you want to eat lunch with? Which person do you want to become friends with? Which people are answering, people online are answering too. Wow. Who would you want to date your daughter? <laughs> Which person are you most drawn to? I uh, worked construction about 12 years ago. And if you're doing the math, you're thinking, wait, James, you were working here 12 years ago. <laughs> I was. Okay, but I had a friend who's a foreman and calls me up and said, hey, one of the richest guys in Spokane is doing this build, and he wants somebody to sweep the job site at the end of the day. Do you have time? Can you do that? And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I have time. I'll pay you contractor wages, $40 an hour. I have time. <laughs> I absolutely have time for you, sir. So for a summer, I pushed a broom around a job site and made 40 bucks an hour. And there were, there were nights where I daydreamed about, man, what would it be like to have all this money, right? To be the financer who could, who could, who could build such a thing. You know, what would it be like to be the foreman who was telling this person and that person and this person to do this, that, and the other thing? And then I realized I'm just quite content pushing a broom for 40 bucks an hour. You know, it's not, I wasn't a framer, but it was as close as I could come to that. A financer, a foreman, and a framer. Which person are you most drawn to? Let's pray. God, we do, uh, we do come before you. Uh, ready to learn from what you want to tell us today. Uh, we have worshipped already. We have smiled and waved at each other. And now, Lord, we come with open ears and open eyes, uh, listening and looking for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we kicked off a two-week sermon series titled, Who is... You can say it. Jesus. Good. Always a correct answer in here. Who is Jesus? It's part of our greater uh, catechumenate study, which we're looking at over the course of this year. And last week, we talked about different titles and uh, business cards. We, we asked you guys, what would you put on your business card? And you texted me, you, you yelled it out. It was really great. And today, I'm going to ask you this. What would you put on Jesus's business card? So be thinking about that, okay? If you haven't already thought of it, a couple people online texted already. I encouraged you this last week to read the Gospel of Mark, okay? to put yourself in the story as if you hadn't read it before, to, to not know what Mark said in his first line about this is Jesus, the Son of God, but to, to put yourself in the story and look at what Jesus said and did and how he acted. Yeah, I'm hoping you had a chance to do that, and I'm hoping that as you did that, 
you got an idea of what title you may put on Jesus' business card. So whether or not you read or not, I do, Michael, I want to thank you. You texted me. Bless your heart. You read, and you said, this is what you, you said. I would put unconditional love in the flesh. Michael would said, Michael said, I'd have a larger business card and put Jesus the Christ, unconditional love in the flesh. It's a great title, okay? What would you put as the title for Jesus' business card? And I might actually write this stuff down. Anybody? Healing Redeemer. Healing Redeemer. I like that. I can't write that fast. Life Changer. Okay, good. Healing Redeemer. Life Changer. Servant. Okay, very good. Somebody else? Heavenly Father. Paola, I'm going to call on you. Not making eye contact, but I'm going to. All knowing. Okay. What else? What else would you put on Jesus' business card? Hope. Hope. Thank you. Uh, I know that came from over here somewhere. Thank you, Roger. I was about three-fourths the way through the book, and I thought, man, if I put anything, I'd put pot stirrer. <laughs> right? You guys are all being positive. Like, good stuff. I was going to put antagonist, but that seemed a little bit too far out there, but every conversation Jesus has, whether it's a positive one or negative, he's sitting there stirring the pot, right? Okay? Somebody else, what would you put on Jesus' business card? Almighty. Almighty. Okay? Good. Good. Today we continue wrestling with who is Jesus. And last week I made the comment that at some point, those initial four disciples and then the, other, the others that followed him they had to have stopped and scratched their head and said, who is this guy, right? Because as soon as they started following him, they were witnessing some things that were mind-blowing. I mean, Jesus was healing people, whether it was fevers or lepers or paralytics. He was casting out demons every time he turned around. He was uh, teaching, and he was getting in heated discussions, right? debates. My wife and I like to call these moments of intense fellowship. <laughs> he was fighting, arguing, stirring the pot with people. And yes, teaching in stories and parables, from seeds being scattered to lamps being lit. The disciples, these new ones following Jesus, they had to, they're like, wow, what in the world is going on? So as you read, which I hope you did, where did those disciples finally stop and scratch their heads and say, who is this? Did anybody pick up on it? Anybody read? Michael, raise your hand. All right, good. We got one. Thank you. I see that hand. <laughs> Anybody know when the disciples stopped to scratch their head and say, who is this guy? I'll give you a hint. It had to do with a boat and water. So there was this time, let me tell you a story. Jesus was in a boat with his disciples and a storm broke out, right? Waves crashing all over the place and this, Jesus was sleeping. He thought it was no big deal. And the waves are pouring over, boat's about to sink. Finally, the disciples wake him up. And this is what they said. Mark chapter 4, verse 38 to 40. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Okay, so here comes the head scratch moment. Their response. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Read this underlined part with me. Who is this man? They asked each other. 
Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? Right? Somewhere in the back of their mind, these terrified uh, saltwater-soaked sailors, these disciples, they were taken back to Bible stories that their parents had told them when they were younger. And they, they might have recited like Psalm 65, verse 5 to 8. It says, you faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with a mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves, silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe at your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of praise. Did you catch that part in the middle? It's talking about God. You quieted the raging oceans with the pounding waves. My guess is that the disciples had one simple word. Um. I did a word study. That's the same in Hebrew and Greek as it is in English. <laughs> you want to repeat it with me? Um. Jesus speaks and the waves are quiet. And they scratch their head and say, who is this guy, right? And then they keep doing life with Jesus. He heals more people, casts out more demons, raises a few people from the dead, provides the world's largest potluck twice, feeding a 4,000 and 5,000, walks on water, spends more time teaching in cryptic parables, and then we get to our main passage for today, Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. And we get to where Jesus finally says to his disciples what I said you guys to start with. What should I put on my business card? Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say you're one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Who is Jesus? The very first sentence of Mark's gospel, I focused last week on Mark calling Jesus the Son of God. But if you remember, or if you look back, you can flip that quick. Mark also calls Jesus something else. Mark 1 verse 1 says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. The Son of God. So Messiah is said in the very first sentence, and then we get halfway through, and Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say I am? And, and Peter responds, you are the Messiah. Now, the Messiah, in, in the simplest terms, the, the, the word Messiah means anointed one. So prophets and kings throughout the history of Israel were anointed ones, as they were called to serve in these different roles. What Peter was talking about was something more than just like the ordaining of the, the pastor at First Church of, of Galilee, right? He was talking about something that, that was more loaded. And honestly, we today, we don't fully understand the weight, at least not right off the top of our, bat, of our minds, because we haven't lived our entire lives hoping for, praying for, looking for, hearing about this coming promised Messiah. Now listen to what four different sources, how they described this idea of the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be the savior and liberator of the Jewish people, restoring Judaism to its rightful place and enabling the Jewish people to finally observe all 613 commandments in the law. 
That's what Wikipedia says. It's not bad for Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. The Messiah would play a specific role in the life of Israel, a prophet, a priest, and most importantly, a king. He was going to redeem Israel back to her rightful place as supreme and set apart from all the world. And you get any idea what a Messiah was? Pretty important. Next source says, as Peter says Messiah, it implies divine election, divine appointment, and special endowment with power for the performance of this divine appointment. It ties back to, uh, to King David. This ruler is going to come in his lineage. So when, when Peter says, you're the Messiah, he was saying, you're coming, Jesus, is marking the fulfillment of this divine promise, this revelation of all of Israel's hopes. The Messiah was going to be a king, great in righteousness and power. And I like this one the, the most. The Messiah was thought of as a great, divine, superhuman figure crashing into history to remake the world and in the end to vindicate God's people. So you see, Messiah is a loaded term. Did you guys think about all those things as we were singing the song uh, midway through the set? Jesus, Messiah, were you, were you thinking about all that? I was just trying to make sure I was singing in, in key. But see, there's so much with that word Messiah. In Mark chapter 14, when the high priest asks Jesus a question, he asks him a question with this loaded definition in mind. Mark 14, verse 60, it says, The high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? Jesus was silent and made no reply. And then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. Oh, that's powerful right there. I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand, coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus spoke into this anticipation, this this understanding of what Messiah would be right there when the the high priest asked that. And you know what? Honestly, that's, that's what we want when we think of Jesus Messiah. Like when we, when we pray, Jesus, come back. We're praying for him to come back, to rule, to reign, to, to elevate Christians to the, to the right place, right? We're coming for him to come back. We're praying for him to come back and kick some tail. You can admit it. We're wanting the same thing that these disciples were wanting. So you think back to Mark chapter 4 when the, these disciples, their hair's all wet because they're about to drown, and, and Jesus calms the storm, and they're like, who is this? And then fast forward four chapters, and Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And right then we're like, okay, Jesus, come on, give him a high five. He got it. Right? So we give him a bump, chest bump, anything. I mean, we're like, Peter's finally understood what's going on. Um, the Peter and his buddies are like, the Messiah, that's right. the financer has arrived. This is a guy who can make change happen, make impact. He can influence. He's here. Maybe, probably not, but maybe they were thinking, here's the foreman. Here's the guy who's coming to tell people what to do. He's been telling demons what to do. Get out. Go jump in the pigs, right? He's been healing people, telling sickness what to do. He's the boss man. He's, he's, just, he's acting as a foreman. So these disciples are thinking, yes, the Messiah, the way we understand the Messiah, he's here and we're on his side. Who you say I am? You, you're the Messiah. I'm on your team, Jesus. And again, we're waiting for a high five, but Jesus doesn't give it to him. He does the exact same thing. He says the exact same thing he's been saying to the demons and to the other people he's been healing. Verse 30, chapter 8, verse 30. 
But Jesus warned them, do not tell anyone about this. I read that and I'm just like, oh, come on, man. I mean, because they finally get it. Oh, they've been watching, they've been seeing him do these things, say these things, teach, heal, all this, and they finally get it. And Jesus says, shh, why? Well, before, last week, I said it's because he didn't want, he didn't want to become famous too early. This time, I believe it's because he wanted to reframe the way the disciples understood what a Messiah was. He wanted to say to them, wait, this is different than what you guys think. The way God has me as Messiah is going to look different. I'm going to act different than what you guys are expecting. Immediately after this, Jesus starts talking about his death. He hadn't mentioned it yet in the gospel. But at this point, Peter proclaims him Messiah. Jesus says, don't tell him. Then he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. He says that multiple times. He does keep healing. He keeps casting out demons. He keeps teaching. But any chance he gets with his disciples, he, he pulls them aside and said, hey, hard times are coming. Oh, by the way, let me reframe what you think about Messiah. I'm, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be handed over. And you would think after all these times of Jesus doing that, the disciples would get it. But if you flip back to Mark chapter 10, just a couple of pages, you see another time. This is actually the third time that Jesus proclaimed that he was going to die. Mark 10, verse 32. They were now on their way up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind him were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They're going to sentence him to die, hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, kill him, but after three days he'll rise again. Do you guys get it yet? It's evident they don't because the very next sentence... Verse 35 says, Then James and John, sons of Zebedee, came over to speak to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request, he asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. When you come as financer and foreman, we want to be part of your crew. I want to be a contractor for you, because that's the way I understand it. I've already forgotten all these other times that Jesus said it's going to look different. So he says, can you guys really do what you're asking? Can you drink the cup of suffering that, that I'm about to drink? And they're like, yep, yeah, we can. <laughs> he says, yeah, well, you might be able to. You will indeed drink from my bitter cup. Be baptized with my baptism of suffering, but I have no way to say who'll sit at my right hand or my left. Then, of course, the other ten disciples heard the favor, and they got upset because they still understand Messiah as big, powerful, mighty, and they want to be the ones sitting at Jesus' right and left hand. They just don't say that. So they get into this heated discussion. They have some times of intense fellowship together. <laughs> Jesus pulls them all aside and said, guys, you still don't understand. The rulers of this world, they lord it over you. The financiers, the foremen, they rule it over you. Among you, it must be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone else. Here's this teachable moment right here. 
Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Messiah came to serve, to give his life. Okay, And the disciples shared that same Hebrew, Greek, and English word that I taught you earlier. Um, none of one, another one of those moments. I just don't get it. A financer, a foreman, and a framer walk onto a job site. In this moment in Mark chapter 10, Jesus just said, I didn't come to be the financer, but he did pay for our sin. Hey, in this moment in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, I didn't come to be the foreman, though he does tell us to follow him, to obey his commandments. In this moment in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, as the Messiah, I came to be the framer. I came to do the grunt work. I came to swing the hammer. I came to serve others and to sacrifice my life. This was not what the disciples were expecting. When Peter said, you are the Messiah, this was not what they were thinking. Framer? Huh? I was trying to think this past week of, you know, somebody who could be equivalent. I don't want to put anybody on a pedestal, but I, I thought of Jimmy Carter, the, the former president. I don't, I'm not making a political statement at all here, but this guy was the most powerful man in the world, right? President of the United States. And after his term, and from then on out, he could have done anything he wanted to, but he chose to be the framer. He chose to swing a hammer. If you don't know what he's doing, he works for Habitat for Humanity. And in the, by the end of 2019, he, he had helped build 4,300 houses. He worked alongside 100,000 volunteers in 14 different countries. He could have funded all of those and just, you know, here's a check. But instead, he chose to swing a hammer. Jesus, as Son of God, as Messiah, could have come as they were anticipating. He could have come and just, you know, kicked some backside, and it would have been a whole lot easier for him. But instead, he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We're asking the question today, who is Jesus? And you guys shared some great answers earlier, you know, Son of God, my Savior, Wow, somebody online said one honest man, pot stirrer, unconditional love. John, you mentioned servant. I was wondering if anybody would. Because that's not what we typically think of first, at least when we're thinking of Messiah. Who is Jesus? John Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God and he's the Messiah. But he wants us to know that Messiah may not always look like we anticipate. May not always look like they anticipated in here. I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. Jesus asked the disciples a question in Mark chapter 8. Who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? This is a question you're going to have to answer. At some point in your life and probably multiple times in your life. Shoot it. At this point, 2015, I had been following Jesus for 38 and a half years. I'm sitting in a motel room in Florida at the General Conference, reading the Gospels, frustrated, tired, not wanting to be at another church event. And Jesus said to me, hey, who do you say I am? 
So it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. You may have to answer that question over and over and over. And yes, there's going to be times when Jesus absolutely serves the role of financer, where he comes as change maker, influencer, world shaker. There's absolutely going to be times where you follow him as foreman, where you, you take his lead as boss. But we can't forget that he also came, and he made this clear to his disciples, that he came to get his hands dirty with us and for us. He came to serve and called us to do the same thing. You know, I think that if he were here 12 years ago and he had a chance to push a broom with me, I think he would have. I don't think he would have taken the 40 bucks, but uh, I think he would have pushed the broom. Hearing this today, does this change what you would have put on Jesus' business card? If you haven't done so yet, read the Gospel of Mark. Put yourself in the story. Try and experience it afresh. Every time you read it, it's going to be different. Jesus may not change, but our experience and understanding of him may. Financer, a foreman, and a framer walked onto a job site. Which Jesus do you gravitate towards? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for, for this past week of study for me, for this chance I had to get to see you in a different light. I thank you for the reminders that you came to do something different, at least in, in, in the case of sacrificing your life. Lord, nobody expected that, and let, you did that. For us and for many. I'm grateful for that. Would you help us, Lord, live into that example? Help us to serve others as you have served us. Help us to love others as you have loved us. Ultimately, Lord, we want to follow Jesus in all of the names that, be on, that would be on his business card. And we can only do that with the help of the Holy Spirit. So would you guide us? Would you walk with us? And would you help us enjoy the journey? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.